sense to me all right so god says to me in my spirit about that sometimes when somebody is not available to do it somebody else has got to do it right and that's the way it was with jesus nobody was available to pay the price for sins and 
so Jesus did. Praise Amen. God. All right, what else? 28. So, um, I got lyrics for a video. I'm still putting it up. I can just say it real quick. But I think it's really cool. Um, I think I played it before, but it's Francesca Benestilli. Uh, he knows my name. Yeah. But this is what it says. It spent today in a conversation in the mere face-to-face -face with somebody less than perfect. I wouldn't choose me first if I was looking for a champion. In fact, I'd understand if you pick everyone before me. Hmm. But that's just not my story. True to who you are, you saw my heart and made something out of nothing. And then it says, I don't need my name in lights. I'm famous in my father's eyes. Make no mistake, he knows my name. I'm not living for applause. I'm already so adored. It's all, it's all his stage. He knows my name. And then it says, I'm not meant to just stay quiet. I'm meant to be a lion. I'll roar beyond the song with every moment that I've got. And it's true to who you are. You saw my heart and made something out of nothing. And then and at the end says, He calls me chosen, free forgiven, wanted child of the king, his forever, held in treasure, I am loved. And so uh, all these lyrics, I was just thinking about, you know, we're, we're very familiar with the scriptures where it says that uh, when a person repents, the angels rejoice. You know, that moment they, they, they repented, they turned to God through Jesus, that, you know, they're coming home someday. But I was just thinking, you know, do the angels just rejoice when they repent? Like, no, I believe the angels even rejoice even more when we come home. Remember that the, in, in the, the prodigal son, when the father... The, the prodigal son that wasted his time, wasted his living, came back. He said, let's throw the biggest party that we've ever seen for my son, for he has now returned. You know, And it is about the son coming home as well, but also someday coming home to eternity. And so I'm just encouraging us and all of us is that when we do come home, you know, no one is going to recognize us like God. Because everybody that sees us do something good, they're going to say, Oh, thank you for this. You did this because of this, because of your religion, because of why you did this, how you did this. But God knows why we do what we do. And God knows who we are. They're never going to see what we're doing for who we're doing it for. But that's when we come home, Jesus says, Welcome home, good and faithful servant. And so there's some words in this that I just like to share. First thing, welcome home. Meaning, you're home. We will fly away someday. We will be welcomed home and never have to leave that home again. And he said, good and faithful servant. And the reason that he says servant is because he understands that everything you did, no matter how many times people say, great job, and not saying, you know, say thank you, whatever. But the idea is they didn't know behind the scenes that we were doing it for our Lord Jesus. We were doing it for who we are in Him. We were doing this because He's the one that gave us the strength. He's the one that gave us the joy. He's the one that paved the way for goodness, kindness, gentleness, and faithfulness. He did it all first. And we're just following in His footsteps. And so He says, good and faithful. And for those, and I know me, I'm not always good and faithful. So why would God say good and faithful servant? Because in all actuality, it just means you think about it. When the Father sees us, He still sees His Son sacrifice in us. 
Right. He sees the Lord Jesus that is the good and faithful son. But we were serving the good and faithful service. So the goodness and faithfulness that he sees in us is going to be a reminder of the good and faithfulness through the Lord Jesus so that we could almost be or even remain good and faithful. So I just encourage you and everybody that this world and all the things that we see, they're not always good and faithful, but doing the Lord's work, being who God called you to be, those things will be remembered and never forgotten. So carry on, Christians. Continue on that good fight of faith. That's what I love about that. He said it's a good fight. It's a good fight of faith. And it means that no matter what, after this fight is over, it'll always be good. <coughs> All right, anyone else? Okay, we're going to pray together. We ties and offers a little more worship. We're going to not, not mess with any more electronic things. We've got all that's going to work that's going to work today, right? <laughs> and the Lord, my wife, the TVs aren't all working between now and next week. We're all working on Christ. Stop so. working. We had them on. Larry, this is my witness. We're here. They were all working. We had them all working. It's fine. So, uh, why, what changed between the friend and I? We don't know. Maybe it's, got some, maybe it's the weather. Or maybe it got a virus. Who knows what? All right. So let's pray together and then tie them off as Father, thank you. You've blessed us in many ways as we give our tithes and offerings, as we serve you the remainder of our time together. We ask that you take these efforts, make them glorify you. Lord, we thank you for that we are so blessed. We thank you that we're blessed that we got a new big TV in the front of the room. We thank you that we're blessed that we got an instrument and players to play. And Lord, that we can praise you not only with just uh, a video that we sing along with or songs out of a hymn book not that those things are bad but Lord, we have so much more and you've blessed us and we just want you to use it to your glory and your honor and your praise and even as we go to your word help us today to learn and grow and reach new heights in Jesus I pray for those families the two that I'm thinking of right now who we don't know that they got sick this morning we didn't know they weren't traveling this morning and they said they would be here and they can't or couldn't or didn't and we pray, Lord, that you'll bless them right where they are and draw them to yourself. And the same for us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Miss Chris just said that Caitlin's going to the urgent care, Aaron's taking her, so keep her in your prayers.
Okay, we're going to do a little activity, and I'm going to need a few role players to volunteer. So, all right, so can I get four volunteers? Four. Got one. If you can make believe or pretend, you can volunteer. Got one. I'll do all four. I'll have him do all four if you guys are going to be so powerful. Come on. You want to role play? Come on. He's done it before. You want to come up here or not? Alright, well, that's two. We got two. We need one more. At least one more. Come on. Role play. We're gonna, I'm going to give you a scenario and you're going to show me your, your response. Yeah, yeah. Sitting down. Okay, got two. I'll do it with two. I'll, you'll each have to do two. Okay, Ron, we got three. Alright. Three would probably be enough. <clears throat> okay, now don't. don't no mocking anyone or being funny. This is serious business. Okay? All right, so Arden, I would like you to role play uh, a young man in his uh, mid-twenties who has the job that he loves and he's extremely successful at his job. Uh, and then all of a sudden, tragedy comes in and he has a loved one who gets very sick. Okay? And then after a long and apprehensive wait, he, he finds out, gets the news from the doctor that his loved one will be okay. Ready? No. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay? I'll give them and I'll come back to you. I'll give them a scenario and I'll come back to you. Okay? All right. So I would like you to role play uh, a man in his mid-30s. Oh, God. Okay? Who is married uh, with no children. And he has been working a job that he despises. It drives him nuts. He comes home from work every day stressed. His blood pressure has been up. His health has been bothered. It's really been not going well. And he applied for a new job, which he thinks would be much better. And he just found out that he got the new job. Can you do it right now on the fly? Uh, I mean, I could. All right, let's do it. What would that look like? What would be his response? I'm better at acting than just talking. You don't have to talk. Act. You can do it with no words. Okay. All right, he's going out. He's coming in. He's going to setting the stage. Okay, here we go. Well done. Very good. That's pretty complex acting there, okay? All right, Ron, I'm going to give you a scenario, and then we'll come back to you, Arden. Okay? So here's your scenario. You've been dating, you're in your late teens, early 20s, and you've been dating a young woman for a while. Uh, you think that you're madly in love with her. Uh, you would spend every waking moment with her, given the opportunity to do so. And you've bought a ring, arranged for a special occasion. You get down on one knee, and you ask her to marry you, and she says yes. Okay. Do you want to go now, or do you rather have Arden go first? Okay. Arden, are you ready? You had more time. Okay. Setting the stage. All right. <laughs> Apparently, you got to leave the room and come back to act well. I think that's the rule. <laughs> oh, you don't have to. You could. You could be standing up after the fact. So. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well done. <laughs> it is very much a pleasure to be in a church full of role players. I love it. Okay. Very good. Thank you so much. Okay. I'd like you to remember those three scenarios and maybe uh, the, their similarity to real life uh, as we turn in our Bibles to the passage today. And if you haven't seen it on the screen, it's already there. Maybe give a little amen, hoot, holler, praise for God as we go to Psalm 100. Amen. Amen. This is God's word. We do that for yet another reason, which you're going to find out today as we look at the scripture. And I know not everybody participates in that, but I want to submit to you that maybe after, if you listen closely to what God has to say out of the scripture today, uh, maybe that would be a way that you can do what we're going to talk about. Not the only way, but a way. All right. So it's a short psalm. It's only five verses, and then we'll only use two short passages of scripture in support. One is just one verse, and another is five verses. And so we don't have a lot of text today. It usually makes out for a short sermon, but we'll see how it goes. All right? Psalm 100. So if, you, if you're ever looking for the Psalms, typically just about every Bible, if you just split the middle, there it is, there's the Psalms, and then you just find 100. Uh, Psalms is not broken down into chapters, but in Psalms. And the Psalms themselves are the prayers or songs of worship, uh, that go back into the history of Israel and at the temple and all of that. And so many of these were written by King David, for example, or very prominent figures in the history of Israel. Psalm 100 says this is a psalm for thanksgiving. It's the subtext. And it says this. It says, Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Well, stop right there. In fact, we could I could have just almost just used this verse to talk about today because it's really powerful. It has a word in it. Um, and it basically is ruah, 
It's that first word there where it says shout joyfully. And if you'll notice, um, all of the letters in the word shout in the New American Standard Version, and probably in most versions, are capitalized. And it's a big deal. This word shout means something more than we think it means. Okay? I'll give you an example. Bah! Okay. You were paying attention? Okay. To shout is to break something. It is to mar it beyond recognition. Okay? And the psalmist is pointing out, and we'll come back to this in the points, he's pointing out that we have an eternal enemy. There is an opposite, if you will, to God's creation. Remember, the word says, all creation testifies of God's glory. But if you've ever been somewhere where it seemed like there was nothing to say, a number of times as a pastor, I have ministered to people who have lost a loved one. I'll never forget going out with my wife in the middle of the night to go and minister to a woman who just found out, would just be finding out, in fact, literally the sheriff's office had called us because she was just going to be finding out that her husband was dead, and we went out, it was 3.30 in the morning, and we approached her apartment, and she figured out immediately when we were coming what, what we were coming about, and she collapsed on the floor, and my wife just held her, and there was literally nothing to be said. Now, the room was not silent because it was filled with her sobs, but in the midst of sobbing, sometimes there is a silence so overbearing, so much, so pressing, that there is like nothing that can be said. This word means to split that silence, to break it wide open, to make a joyful noise is a translation, if you will, into the English. It is to ruah or break the silence and then joyfully and then to the Lord. And the Lord is Yahweh. He is the creator God. He is the one who made everything. Notice that this command then goes to all the earth. This is not to believers or to Israelites or only to saved people. It's to everyone. The command of this verse is to every living being to break the silence joyfully to the Lord. And verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. So this is a simple command couched in how you do it. What do you do? You serve. You do whatever it is that would be best for him and you do it with gladness. You realize that if the God of the universe is indeed who he is, who we know him to be. He's the creator God who aligned every molecule to become water, to become oceans, who put every star in the sky, who started mankind, who wrote the language of DNA. Don't kid yourself, DNA is a language. It absolutely is, and it's proof of intelligence if nothing else was. But he wrote the DNA that is in every cell. God did all of that. If he did all of that, getting a job serving that God is pretty awesome. Right? If you get hired by a billionaire for a million dollars a year, you're going to be like, yay, I got a great job. And you're going to serve that billionaire at least for a while till you find out he's really a dirtbag or he's really hurtful or really what, something, or he's asking you to do things that you cannot or will not do or whatever. But at least for a while, you would serve with gladness because you're like, man, every employee I ever hired when I was working at Pizza, I worked there for many years, and every employee I ever hired had the honeymoon period. We paid reasonably well. And we would hire them in. And I was... And I'm not saying this pridefully anyway, because I wasn't saved. I was a bad person in a lot of ways, okay? But I was a pretty good Pizza Hut manager. I recognized them. I did, we did, uh, um, every year we'd have a team Christmas party, and we did, we did all kinds of things to kind of make them happy to be working with the working. And they would come in, they were 30, 60, 90 days. They were the model employee. They were serving with gladness, because they realized they'd come to work at a good place to work. And then after a while, their gladness kind of wanes. 
And this is the issue. This is a re-invitation by God that everyone would serve the Lord with gladness. He is God and He has all the resources. And we're going to see some traits about Him in a moment as to why we might do these things. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. This one's pretty direct. Come into God's presence with joyful singing. There's a lot of people who, number one, don't sing. Or number two, they sing, but they don't look like they're really enjoying it. Uh, when, I, when I was back at East Toledo back in the day, I had a, a man who stood near me in the congregation. And then, In fact, we were in the choir together. And he sang like this. He'd be like, Oh, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, and bless the Lord. And it was just like he was muttering what he was saying. There was no voice. There's not no air coming out. Everything was quietly. And it wasn't melodic. But it wasn't really interfering either. So everybody was fine to have him there. No one had a problem with him. No one was complaining about it or whatever. And maybe that was his version of a joyful noise, but it sure didn't seem like that. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence or come before him with joyful singing. You realize the opportunity that you have? Do we realize the opportunity that we have to, to sing praises to a holy God who is far beyond, first of all, far beyond what we can truly understand, but what we can understand of Him is awesome! Amen. He's God! And what He's done for us. Verse 3 says, Know, or you, your, your translation might say, Acknowledge that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. This is the problem. In the world today, and it's been that way for about a hundred years, and probably was growing momentum before that, people have been thinking they can remake themselves over into this, that, or the other thing. Your TV or your advertisements would convince you that if you eat the right thing, do the right thing, buy the right thing, be in the right place, etc., you will be happy. You will be content, right? Go to Sandals Resorts for a few thousand dollars. They will literally turn your life around. Pay for massage therapy. Visit a chiropractor. Take a certain uh, supplement so your digestion will be better. All of these things. And you can literally turn your... If you can just find the combination. Click, click, click. Oh, I've got it. Now I'm happy. And we've got this idea that we're remaking ourselves over and it just isn't so. It is God who made us. Not us. We didn't do it. Mankind did not create mankind. God did. Mankind did not orchestrate the world in which we live. We think that we laid down the borders. Somebody said, you know, we can put a stone there and a stone there and we'll draw a line across. We'll make that the edge of Delaware. And we know what we're talking about. But according to Acts 17, Paul says that God set up all the boundaries of where mankind lives and all of that was done so that People might search around for God. Now, it doesn't mean literally God drew the lines on the map or anything like that. It means that God orchestrated the events of history so that they came out the way that they did so that people would look and say, you know, there's got to be some reason why all this happened. There's got to be something behind this. Like I mentioned DNA. We figured out that DNA is a language. It's composed of a very, very small number of parts in a very precise way that the cell knows exactly how to replicate itself. That required... Hu human and far beyond human, because we're only just getting it after thousands of years of study, far beyond human intelligence to do something like that. He made us, and we didn't do it. And we're not going to redo it, because we didn't do it the first time. To think we're going to remake ourselves would be wrong. So he said, the psalmist says this, know or acknowledge that the Lord, and by the way, that, Lord, that word there, Lord, is Creator God, that the Creator God 
Himself, He alone is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. Then it goes on to say, still in verse 3, we are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Now this will step on your toes a little bit. It does mine. Because I understand that to be a child of God, to be saved again, you have to believe that God exists and that He has a right to punish sin or that there is a punishment for sin. If you don't want to believe that God specifically does it, which is what the Bible teaches, you have to, there is a punishment for sin and we are worthy of it. Because we have sinned and fall short of the Lord of God, we get the wages of sin, which is death. And death is separation between us and God. And it be a little separation, like, I can't hear the voice of God anymore. Or it can be a great, big separation, like, I'm going to hell for an eternity. But either way, it's a separation that arises out of sin. Then God says, for those who believe in the one whom he has sent, Jesus Christ, as Lord, and that God raised him from the dead, that's Romans 10, 9, and 10, that God will make them new, he will save them, and he will make them his people. God overcame the barriers between, here's the Israelites, which were already God's people, and here's the non-Israelites, or the non-Jews, that's all of us, pretty much, who were not God's people. And then he made all people possible because of the sacrifice of Jesus, and he did that way before Jesus was born because they were all looking forward to it happening, even though it didn't happen. So now there's no barriers between people anymore. Remember, this psalm is not written to Christians, nor is it written to Jews. It is written to all human beings. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. That means God loves us. God is taking care of us. When someone is walking a course that does not honor God and they run into all kinds of bumps in the road, God's not doing that because He hates them. God's not doing that because he's against them and trying to send them to hell. In fact, I've heard it said, and I agree with it, that God doesn't send anybody to hell. He can, but he doesn't. But people go to hell because they don't want to go with God. They choose not to be with God, so then they go to hell. But before they go to hell, they are his people and the sheep of his pasture. They have the ability to be saved. They have the ability to have a relationship with Him. They have the ability to go to heaven forever. They have the ability to praise God and to serve Him with gladness and come before Him with joyful singing and knowing that God alone created them. All people can do that. Now, they're not that likely to without a little helping hand. Without God doing something. The Word says, no one comes to the Father except He be called. Verse 4 and 5. It says this in 4. It says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Now back in the day, you know, they had the gates going to the temple gates, going to the temple, and they're praising. We come to church. Let's be realistic. When you come to worship here together, there ought to be thanksgiving in your heart. I submit to you, when you enter the door of your house, there ought to be thanksgiving in your heart. I submit to you, when you clock in on your job, there ought to be thanksgiving in your heart. We talked about over the last couple of weeks and Jason said it beautifully. In fact, I used it for an encouragement call that went out to 1,100 households. And Jason said, I've been sitting here with people talking about what they should be thankful for and why we should be thankful and all that. And, he, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, but basically he said, well, this is what I'm realizing. We should be thankful all the time. He said, 
99%, he's, I'm not quoting a scientist, I'm quoting Jason. He said 99% of our DNA is all the same, but that last 1%, that's what makes us unique and different. We should be grateful for that. God made us unique and different. And if you're going through difficulties, if you don't have what you want, you should realize nonetheless, God made you unique and different. Still has you here for a purpose, for a reason. I can't tell you how many people I have visited in the hospital. And they're alive, but only barely. And they're hoping to get out of the hospital, but they don't know. And in the last moments or hours or days of their life, and sometimes they do come out of the hospital and they live for decades more. And I say to them this because I know it's true. God still has you here. He has you here for a reason, for a purpose, for the next moment, for the next hour, for the next day, for the next week, month, year, decade, whatever. You're here with a purpose. God can do something. He can do something amazing through every single one of us. And so for that reason alone, we should enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. And that praise there is a heart of praise. It is a, a, an existence, living praise. Like, I feel like praising God. You should feel like praising God. He says, give thanks to Him. Bless His name. And then verse 5 begins with that beautiful little four, that F-O-R. And that four is a because. And this is why we do it. Right? So we do all of that, and this is why we do it. Because His loving kindness is everlasting. When I was growing up, I, I felt loved in my home. My parents took care of me. They put a roof over my head. They gave me food. They watched over me the way they watched over me. I mean, not everybody does it the same, right? For me, it was go outside, come back, and when the street lights come on. Nowadays, you'd be worried your kid would get mugged or something, maybe, but that was the way it was back then. We played at the creek for six, eight hours at a time. Nobody knew where we were at. The light, street lights come on. If we didn't come back in about five, ten minutes, we was in trouble. And in trouble meant getting a whooping. Didn't mean you were grounded from your electronics for a day. It meant go bend over. All right? And so we didn't come in late. Unless it was something really important, and then occasionally we did, and then we got in trouble. But I felt loved. But that's human love. This is God's love toward us, that He created you, brought you into existence, has watched over you, has ensured that you have been safe to this point in time in your life so that you can do that great thing that He yet has for you to do. So you can live out the plan that He has for you, which is awesome. His loving kindness is everlasting. It goes beyond that because you're alive and the things that you've done, some of them will create a legacy situation so that three, four, five generations from now, if you're living for the Lord now, three or four or five generations from now, things that you have done will still be impacting the world. You can still make a difference long after you're gone to heaven by the things that you do now while you're alive. God's loving kindness is everlasting. And His faithfulness to all generations. God's promises have always been true all the way back to Adam and Eve when He told Eve that one of her sons would rise up and have enmity with the serpent, which was representing Satan in that story. And that his He would crush the serpent, but the serpent would strike His heel. And He was talking to her about the coming of Jesus Christ. And God's promise remained from then for thousands of years until you got to the point where Jesus was born. His faithfulness is to all generations. All right, so let's break it down. There's kind of like three things, although the middle one is composite. The first thing I want you to see is this psalmist understood we must break the silence. And I was a young, very, very young believer, and I was just on the way to starting to live for God. You know what I mean? 
and my wife and I had fought. Oh, we'd been married for uh, just about a year and a half, and and we had fought at all. We never physically, like I never would raise my hand to her or she she to me, anything like that. But we'd throw the pots and pans, we slammed the doors, we'd turn the music up, we did the silent treatment. Uh, we would even yell at each other sometimes, things like that. We would tell the other person how stupid they were being and things, and we had fought. But now I was saved, and I knew that a lot of those things that I was doing to her were wrong. And I was trying not to do them anymore. So I'm in the kitchen, and I'm really frustrated with something that she's done. And the truth is, it was kind of a betrayal. It was wrong. What she had done was wrong. I had a right to be upset. It wasn't like my upsetness was completely unjustified because what she had done was kind of like something I had told her not to do specifically and she had done it anyway. And it was, and I didn't agree with it. And I'm in the kitchen and she's in the living room and she called out to me and asked me a question. And I thought, I'm not going to answer. I'm going to give her the silent treatment. And that's what I did. I didn't answer. And then she came to the kitchen and she said, did you hear me? And I didn't answer. And, and, and mind you, I'm a young Christian. I'm supposed to be living for Jesus. That's not the way you're supposed to treat people. But this was the only way I could, I could, I didn't know what to say, you know, to get my point across without saying the stupid things that I had said before. And she said, are you not talking to me? And I said, mm-hmm. And she turned around and stormed back out of the kitchen. And the silence, the silence was deafening. The silence hurt. The silence was chewing up our marriage. It was destroying our relationship. It was taking down the, the construct of love in me. I loved my wife. I wanted my wife. I wanted to be with my wife. I wanted to be married to her for my whole life. That was my intention when I asked her to marry me. Even though I had not treated her that way for a year and a half of being married, I knew that's what I wanted. And the silence became a thing. It became its own beast. It became its own sword-wielding monster to destroy my heart. And the psalmist is saying, break the silence. Do you not recognize the person that you answer to? It's not your brother. It's not your mother. It's not your father. It's not your friend. It's not the police. It's not a governor. It's not an army. It's not anything military or some other kind of king. It's some, not some false god. It's not your bills that are going to come at the end of the month. You answer to the living and holy God. And if you know you answer to the living and holy God, then you better come up with an answer. Even if sometimes the answer is just, oh, in the face of adversity. But you are alive. And you have the right and the ability to face that adversity. And you have muscles. And they may ache. And you have joints. And they may barely work. And you have, a, you have brain cells. that You may have killed too many of them when you were young. So you have a hard time thinking straight now. But the point is, you are here. And that silence is a thing. In the New Testament, it says that, that the law, that because people are lawless, they will hide the truth about God. Is that us? Are you hiding the truth about God? The truth about God is that God is all powerful. And He's all loving. And He's all knowing. And He's all present. He's all good. All the time. And if you're in the midst of your difficulty and you find that you have nothing to say about God, nothing to say to God, all you're doing is allowing that beast that is the silence to remain. And you must kill it. You must strike it a death blow. 
You must mar it beyond recognition. If all you can do is make a joyful noise, then that is what you are called to do. You must break the silence. I've had people tell me over the years, especially when I was a young Christian, they would tell me that that they were trying to figure out something, that the answer to the question was God. They would say, I'm really going through some difficulty right now, and and I don't know how to make it any better. I don't know how to do anything that's going to help or anything that's going to make this situation any better. Now, I knew the answer was God, but I said nothing. Why? Why do we say nothing? Well, sometimes we say nothing because the silence is creeping. The joyful noise sounds trite. I visited a young man who was in his early 20s, and there was a woman from my church who went there and uh, with me, and he was in uh, the mental ward at the hospital. He had had a nervous breakdown. And he'd been in there for a couple of days and they were working with him with medication and counseling and stuff and trying to get him back on his feet. And we sat there and he was explaining to us how he had felt right before his mental breakdown. And then right after that came silence. Neither one of us had an immediate answer. And then right after that, so the silence only lasted for about like about seven seconds and I had formulated my thoughts and I was ready to begin to speak. And she said, well, let me tell you, all you really need to do is just get in the habit of reading your Bible. You just read your Bible more daily, every day. Plan, you know, read it a minute an hour or two minutes an hour or read it five times a day. She said, just read your Bible more and all these feelings, all this problem and everything you're dealing with would all come into the right light and God will take care of it and it'll all be good. You just read your Bible more. Doesn't that sound trite? And you know why? Because it is. Because it is not reading the Bible that transforms the soul or the heart. It's God. right? The praise should be given to God. When a person gets to a, a moment of hopelessness and they're in depression and they're broken and whatever, all they've done is reach this, uh, a recognition of the state of humanity. Without God, that's the way people are. We are empty. We are hurting. We don't have what we need. We are falling apart because the silence has crept up on us and overtaken us. It is smothering. It will destroy your life. But the psalmist reminds us that you can break the silence. You know, do you know why you can break the silence? You can break the silence because God made you able from the moment you were born. In Psalm chapter, sorry, I say chapter, but it's not. In Psalm 8, David writes this. The end of verse 2, he said, or verse 2, he says, I will be glad and exalt in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O Most High. Similar topic. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before thee. For thou hast maintained my just cause. Thou dost sit on the throne judging righteously. Thou hast rebuked the nation. Thou hast destroyed the wicked. Thou hast blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy has come to an end in perpetual ruin. And thou hast uprooted the cities. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne and his judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the people with iniquity. The Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, O Lord, hast not forsaken those who seek thee. This is Psalm 9 that I'm reading. 
Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare among the people His deeds. Now, look at verse 2 of Psalm 8. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes... Now, right there, stop. What's it going to say? Don't, if you're not reading it, what's it? Somebody who's not reading it, tell me what's going to go next. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes... Who doesn't have their Bible out? Looks like a lot of people do. What do you think it's going to say next? From the mouth of infants and nursing babes... What? Is it God's going to ordain praise? And that way you'd think it would be probably going to say he's, that there's going to be praise, right? That the praise should come from the mouth of infants, right? But what it actually says is this. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, thou hast established strength because of thine adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. Babies, from the moment they come out of the womb, God has instilled them with the power to break the silence. From the moment the doctor whacks them on the hiney and they go, ah, air, right? From that moment on, they can break the silence. In fact, they have a unique knack and it's kind of out of control, right? Just take a one-year-old to the library without feeding them first, right? And it's not quiet in there anywhere in the building at any time. They will literally move from space to space to space everywhere in there and... uh, They will interrupt everything because they have the ability to break the silence. And then we as adults get trained. Oh, oh, calm down. Be quiet. Whatever. Listen to me. If a gunman comes in the library, don't go to the gunman. And don't look at the other people and go, hey, we've got to run away. There's a gunman here. No. Break the silence. We cannot be ushered into a world of silence, not by laws, not by government, not by force, not by parental training. You must break the silence. The second thing then is a list he gives us. And and you almost could say that this is a list of how we're called to break the silence, but it's more than that. It's really how we're called to destroy it, how we're called to mar it, how, how we're called to give it no place in our lives anymore. And he uses these verbs to do so. Serve, come, know, and then I, I, he doesn't use this word in the English, but it's there. Abide, enter, give, and bless. Listen to it back in the text of Psalm 100. I'll just go through real quick so you can see. He says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is good. It is He who made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. That's about abiding. We remain in what He has done. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise, and give thanks to Him and bless His name. I submit to you that a person who does not know God at all, who has not been saved, who has not been born again, who would follow this seven-point action plan on living their lives in this way the best they can, I think they would fall short in every category, but overall, God would see their effort and they would break the silence. They would mar the silence so completely that God's voice would come through loud and clear. I submit to you that before Jesus came, before the Holy Spirit, before Pentecost, that there were those who were living and they did not know Jesus. Jesus had not yet been born. They did not know the name under heaven among men which had been given that they would be saved. They didn't know it yet, but they were living this way. They were serving God with gladness. They were coming before Him with joyful singing. They were knowing that God had created them, that it was He who had made them and not themselves. 
They knew that they were His people. They were abiding under God's authority, recognizing God is in charge of us. And that it was God that was preparing for them. They prayed for rain. And if it rained, they accepted that sometimes when it rained, God made it rain because they prayed for rain. Verse 4, they entered His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. And they gave thanks to Him and they blessed His name. And I wonder if that's not the seven-point action plan of a man called Enoch who went home to be with God rather than living the remainder of his days on the earth. He didn't know Jesus. He didn't have the Holy Spirit of God. But he knew God. And he walked with God. And it says one day while they were out walking, God said, we're closer to my house than yours. Let's just go home to my house. And I paraphrase that, of course. So what do you do? First, break the silence. Speak up and say, yes, me. Yes, I'm praising God. I love God. I recognize who God is. I want to serve God. I want to give. I want to remain. I want to enter. I want to bless His name. I will. Me. I can only speak for me, but me, yes. And then set that example. Break the silence. And then continue in these activities, serving God the best you know how. Coming into His presence the best you know Knowing that He is the one who did it and He is the one who is in control of all things. Abiding in what He gives you. And say, okay, this is the situation God wants me to be in. Sometimes I don't understand why that might be, but I'm going to abide in God here. I'm going to praise God here. When you're sitting in your hospital room and they're still trying to figure out why you're sick and they can't figure it out, play praise music and sing. What if you die in the next minute? What do you want to be doing when you die? Abide in the pastures that He's laid out for you. Enter His gates. Give and bless Him. Work this seven-point action plan. Why? Why? For one reason. Because these character traits that the psalmist lists about God are undeniable. His loving kindness. If you have someone who loves you... I, I. there was a man in my life, he was rough. <laughs> Being around him was rough. His, uh, his, his language was rough. His attitude was rough. He was not nice to people. I had heard rumors later that may, he may have abused his children who were my cousins and his wife who was my aunt in law. My aunt. And being around him was rough. But when I was around him, I always thought he loved. He always made a place for me. He would, he would uh, have, he had walnuts, and it's funny because he had, he had walnuts, and he'd say, "This is how you do it." And he'd show me how to squeeze them together to break them open without a nutcracker, so I could get the little stuff inside and eat it because I liked it. And he showed me how to do it. I couldn't do it; I was too weak. And everybody else in his family, all, everybody was older than I was a little boy. Everybody was older than me. If you wanted to get the walnuts, you had to be able to do that because you were old enough. And I was young; I was like four. And he let me use the nutcracker, but no one else allowed to use a nutcracker. But I could use a nutcracker, and I put in the nutcracker, and I squeeze it, and sure enough, it pop open, I could eat the stuff inside. And I could use it, because I was little. But he said, but when you get to be old enough and strong enough, you're going to have to be able to break those nuts open yourself. I felt loved in his presence. Now, he was not a nice man, but I felt loved. If, if I can be that way with somebody who seems to love me, seems to love me, how much more so should I be with the God in heaven who clearly and obviously loves me so much that He sent His own Son to die for me, so much that He's watching over my life every day and making a difference in my life every day, that He gave me spiritual gifts, that He sealed up my heart, 
That when I'm in the darkest, when I've been in the darkest moments I've been in, which I may be in darker, I understand, but I've been in the darkest moments that I've been in since getting saved. He's been there with me, seen me through it, encouraged me, directed me, overcame my difficulties for me in some cases. How could I not love him back? The way, how could I be quiet about my love for him when he loves me like that? God's loving kindness is everlasting. And his faithfulness is to all generations. God has made us some promises. God promised Abraham that he would have children of many generations and that he would have more children in the kingdom, in God's kingdom, than all the stars in the sky and all the sand on the beach. And that has now come true. It came true by the sacrifice of Jesus and because people believed in Jesus, who was an offspring of Abraham, and it would be so. And that's how Abraham got saved. And now because we have faith in Jesus... We have become his descendants. That's what God promised. God doesn't stop loving and he doesn't stop keeping his promise. He told Eve that a, a descendant of hers would step on the serpent, crush the serpent. And Jesus did. And he said that that serpent would rise up and bite him on the heel. And the, ser- the serpent, which was Satan in the analogy, did. Right? God's promises are enduring. He keeps his promises and he's forever loving and kind. And so if that's who he is, then we must break the silence. And then continuing in a life, you know, say, if you, if I, if I was in a zombie apocalypse, zombie apocalypse is kind of scary, right? Because the zombies just keep coming, you know what I'm saying? They just keep coming. And you got a shotgun, you shoot them in the head, and the zombies fall down. But there's more. And you got to reload, and you shoot them in there. They got to keep coming. That's what's creepy about that, because they just keep coming. You could have a, a submachine gun that fires 90 rounds a minute, but eventually you're going to have to reload, and they just keep coming, right? This silence is like that. It just keeps coming. The never-ending story was a children's movie. And, and the whole movie was about... This, the nothing that was creeping up to destroy the realm where all the fantastic animals and stuff live. And this kid was reading the book and as he was getting closer and closer to the end of the book, he was on a journey to try to stop the nothing from consuming the realm. That's this. This is the silence. If the enemy can make you be quiet about God, if he can make you stop serving or coming to God or knowing who God is or abiding in God or entering into his presence with praise and thanksgiving or giving of for God, to God, etc. Blessing God. If He can make you stop doing that, then He's made a statement about God's promises and His loving kindness. This is the very battle of spiritual warfare that we're talking about. Don't quit. Break the silence and then don't quit. Destroy it. Beat it down. If it rears its ugly head, hit it again. You don't have to reload. As long as you have breath in your lungs, you can do it again. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory be. You can do it again and again. But the problem is, we take that creative power of our mouths and we want to use it for something else. Or we want to say, well, no one cares what I think anyway. Which is all part of the spiritual warfare. It's the enemy telling you that's absolutely true. People care what you think. People care what you say. People care what you do. People are waiting to be saved because people who are saved are allowing the silence to reign. And we have to stop. We're in the conclusion now. In Philippians 4, uh, let's go Malachi first. Malachi, which is the last, uh, last book in the Old Testament, was the last prophet to speak before the 400-year gap and then Jesus came. Malachi 1.11 says this. And it's in the middle of a story, but it says, for because 
from the rising of the sun even to its setting, my name, this is God speaking, my name will be great among the nations and in every place incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. God is saying, the silence will not win the day. According to the New Testament, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is God. Whether you like it or not, you'll be on your knee on that day. Whether you like it or not, you'll be confessing on that day. And if you do like it, then what the Word is asking us today is, why are we not confessing it, or why would we ever not confess it now? Philippians 4, Paul wrote this to the church at Philippi. Philippians 4, verse 4. This is in the New Testament. It's one of the smaller books, kind of in the middle. And it says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say, and again I will say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. What does that word rejoice mean? It means to praise loudly. It's the same thing as the halal and hallelujah. If you sing softly when you're praising God, you might want to think about up in your volume some of the times. Not saying always, because there is a soft reverence praising of God also. But if you never sing loudly, if you never get loud when praising God, you're missing the boat. You're missing the command to break the silence. Because it's not caress the silence, or paint the silence, or put the silence away, or stop thinking about the silence. It's break the silence. Destroy it. As if you were using a sledgehammer to pound in Attack. Break the silence. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. In other words, the good spirit that's in you, the way that you're living for God, let everybody see that and, and think, man, that, guy's, that guy or that gal, there's something different about them. The Lord is near. Be anxious, that's worried, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So what do you do when the silence is creeping in and you lost a loved one? When the silence is creeping in and you're sick and you don't know what's going to happen and you're in the midst of trouble, what do you do? Break the silence. Let your prayer of supplication to God be heard. God, help me. I'm in a difficult spot. We don't pray God help me because we don't believe God will which isn't true. Yes, God sometimes knows better than we do, and He may not do it the way you want Him to do it, but He will always help when called upon if you're a believer. And for a non-believer who calls upon Him, that's them becoming a believer, and He'll help them too. Again with verse 6. said, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. We have one more verse to read. Before we do, I want to mention this. This is why people allow the silence when they should not. Because the world has taught us, and our own flesh, and our own sinful nature, has taught us that silence is like peace. When in reality, it's just the opposite. Being loud about God, breaking the silence, being down the silence, 
That is the peace that you're looking for. Right now, in heaven, around God's throne, there are four angels with wings to fly and wings to cover parts that should be covered, crying, holy, 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 24 hours a day, every moment of every day. How much silence is there in the presence of God with regards to His holiness or anything else? None. There is no silence because angels for 24 hours a day cry, holy, holy, holy. There is no silence. There is peace to be had, but not silence. If you go into the presence of God, you're not going to go, oh, I just want to be reverent and quiet. I'm just going to worship you, God. Let's just be quiet. It's not going to be like that because the angels will be there going, holy, holy, holy. It's not quiet. I assume that an angel voice is louder than my voice. And so, holy, 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 they cry, round the clock. And here it says, if we would be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication, that's not silence. I'm I'm praying to you, God, and then just sit there quietly thinking about what you're going to pray or thinking about your prayer. You can pray pray in your head. It's true, God can hear your thoughts. But this is out loud prayer. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And it says, and then the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Funny thing about demons, funny thing about evil spirits, they talk too. And you may go to the silence and in the silence there are voices. And you may go, oh, well, I think I should do this. I think I should do that, right? They put a thought in your head. It begins with I. So now all of a sudden you're thinking whatever. Or you're thinking you're hopeless. Or you're thinking you're worthless. Or you're thinking you should quit. Or you're thinking you should go on doing something that you really shouldn't be doing at all. Because their voices are in the silence. But if you destroy the silence, if you get louder than your evil spirit enemies, louder than the demons, in fact, when you start speaking, even if you just croak out the name of Jesus, that'll shut them up. Two times at least I have sat with somebody who was being affected by evil spirits and demons and and both of those people literally could not say the name Jesus Christ. One of them was professing to be a Christian. I said, are you a Christian? She said, yes. I said, would you tell me that you are? She said, I'm a Christian. I said, would you tell me that you are a follower of the name of Jesus Christ? And she said, I am a follower of... And she could not say Jesus. Ultimately, we said, do you want to be free? Do you want to be a follower of Jesus? Do you want Jesus in your life and in your heart? And, and she could just shake her head yes. And we prayed and we rebuked evil spirits over her and we prayed with her to receive Jesus. And when she walked out of the room with tears streaming, not quietly, and this was a quiet young lady. She was about 15 years old. A quiet young lady. Not quietly, she was saying, I'm a follower of Jesus. Jesus saved me. I was trapped. And now I'm free. The other young man was probably like 12 and he had probably multiple demons affecting him and he couldn't say the name of Jesus. He couldn't say, I want to be a Christian. He couldn't say, I believe in God. He was so trapped and his mouth was just tied up in knots. And finally, he was able to say that he wanted to make the decision to follow Christ. And we prayed with him. And right away, and then the, it was the camp counselor, I didn't do it, but the camp counselor said, now will you tell me what you just did? And he said, I just accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior for the first time ever. And this is a kid's 12 years old and not very academically strong. He said, for the first time ever, and I am living the rest of my life for Jesus free. And he, he was exhausted because the fight was exhausting. But he said, I'm free. 
And then it says in verse 8, Finally, brother, what, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. And that's those seven points expressed in another way. We've got to break the silence. Don't say it's your personality. Don't say, well, I'm just not that kind of person. Don't say, my parents taught me to be quiet and respectful. If you're sitting there right now and you can feel the enemy telling you, no, he doesn't know what he's talking about. You don't need to speak up. You're okay just the way you are. Understand. You've got to get free. You have to get free. You have to be able. There's a couple of times when I was wrestling with the enemy and evil spirits, whatever, after I got saved, and I got to the point where all I had left in me was the knowledge that I had to move, that I had to do something. I knew I had to. I knew I was becoming bound. I was being, I was making decisions compelled by thoughts that were not my own. Decisions about my wife and my marriage and about my ministry and about my friends and about people feeling alone, feeling like it was just me, just only me. Oh, I was the only one and everyone had abandoned me and all my family members were only just trying to use me and all my ministry was, I made it all up. And God wasn't doing anything and I was believing all of this. It was all full of deceit and I was falling apart. And finally, I was praying and I wasn't praying out loud. And I was trying to pray. And I, every time I was wrestling with these thoughts in my head as I was praying, and finally I just said, Enough! Enough! I am a follower of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and I will not hear it anymore. Jesus, help me. And it was gone. It was all gone. That silence, which had become so loud that it was forcing me to conform, was gone. Break the silence. Decide for you who God is. He's creator. He created you. And never look back. Give and serve and bless Him. Praise Him. Sing. When I first started singing, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I, was, I knew my voice wasn't good. I used to sit way away from everybody else in the congregation so I could sing because I didn't want to bother the people around me because I knew my voice wasn't good. And finally I said, somebody said to me, uh, I, I said to God, I said, if someone would tell me my voice was okay, I would join the choir. They keep asking, asking people in general to join the choir. I said, I'll join the choir if someone would tell me. And then after VBS, that one, the Friday of VBS, the director said, you know, you could sing okay, we could use you in the choir. And I was like, oh, crud. Now I've got to join the choir because that's what I told God I would do. And I joined the choir. And I sang in the choir for two and a half years. And I was still singing in the choir when we switched to our church in Michigan. They didn't have a choir. Do I have a good singing voice? No, probably not. And I probably never will. And I can't read music. I just know if the next, if you're looking at the music, the next note is up, that means you go a little higher. That's literally all I know. But I'll never stop singing praises. 
because God made me a praiser. I've broken the silence and I'll never go back. I'm asking you to join me to break the silence and then to continue the effort and you've got the seven step action plan on how to do so and we have every reason to do so because he loves us and his loving kindness will never end because he's made promises to us and he will keep them because his faithfulness will never end you find a favorite praise song when Ariana was young she struggled with evil spirits and I believe it was because the enemy was trying to keep her from turning into this awesome young lady that I think God is trying to make out of her. And she would cry, not uncontrollably, but she would cry or be loud and act up when we couldn't understand why. And finally I said, well, I'm going to try something. And I sang to her, I said, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. And by the time I got to I lift, she, she quit. Quit crying. And she's looking at me. And I sang the whole song. And then I stopped singing, I stopped singing about five or ten seconds, and she started crying. I have since learned that when babies are crying, sometimes they just need somebody to sing for them. They want to feel loved. And, that, and for, up until that point, it was, is your diaper wet? Are you cold? Are you hungry? Are you overly tired? And those are all true things. But even then, when I'm hungry, I would like for somebody to call me on the phone, Almost maybe more more than for somebody to give me food, I would like for somebody to call me and tell me that they love Jesus. Jesus said, I have food to eat that you know not of. You will win the Christian walk. You will win the game of life. You will overcome. When whatever your scenario is, you decide what it looks like in that situation to speak up. All of those scenarios that we did at the beginning, those are all real scenarios from people in our church. And there are people in this room that might have hey, that's my scenario. They're real scenarios. At least one of them is somebody that's in this room. And all they had to do was decide what their response is going to be to their circumstance. How do I praise God now? How do I bless God? How do I serve God? How do I trust Him and abide in the care that He has for me even though I don't like this situation I'm in or I really like this situation? I'll give you this final illustration that we're going to have a closing hymn and we're abundantly understaffed. So we'll get that done. I've been to football games a couple of times in my life, high school, college, and professional. And I've watched a few football games on TV. One of the things that has amazed me about football games is that fans really get into it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was watching the Ohio State-Michigan game, and there was a, a group of Ohio fans, and they, they were all decked out in the Ohio colors, body spray, like the whole body was sprayed, right? And they spell out the word, thank you, T-H-A. I don't know what they were thanking people for, but they said thank you on their, on their chests, sprayed on their chests. And like the camera pans around the audience. And you know how many times the real fans sit down in the football game? Like almost nothing. They're standing the whole time. They're holding flags. They're holding banners and signs. Right? And they're, they're, yay, Ohio State football team of this particular year. We know you're going on to maybe play professional football or maybe you'll never play football again after this, but yay you right now because you're wearing our colors, because you're part of our team right now. God's enduring forever 
And we get people come in and they're like, oh, praise you, Lord. Or more likely, this sounds a lot. Some folks sing praise you, Lord. Break the silence. You need to come to church spray painted New Heights colors. It's purple and black and white. Go for it. Spray paint yourself. Whatever. You wear clothing under the spray paint, please. But you come on in spray painted. If that's what it's going to take to get you to break the silence, what is it going to take? It's literally a command of God. First John says this. This is love of your brother. Follow the commands of God. Last week we said, we've got to love one another. If you come in this room and you're not praising God and you're not breaking the signs and you've got nothing to say, you're not loving the people around you. You're not loving your wife by being quiet about Jesus if she doesn't quite believe. You're not loving your girlfriend or, or your friend at school or whatever. He said, well, I don't want nothing to do with God. Don't talk to me about that. Right? I don't want to hear nothing about it. And then you shut up. That's not loving them. It's not honoring their request to be quiet about God is not loving them. It's not. Because they're on their way to hell and you have the remedy and they've asked you not to administer it. And you cannot administer it but for your own peace, Philippians 4, you can't stop rejoicing in it. So now you can say that, look, I, you know, I, I rejoice in my salvation. I rejoice in who God is like literally all the time. So you're asking me, by asking me not to talk about God, you're literally asking me not to be around. I just want to be sure. Are you asking me not to be who I am, not to be about God like I want to be? Because if that's what you're asking me, then I'll decide what I have to do, what my response is going to be. And if they say, yes, that's what I'm saying to you. That God crap, I want nothing to do with that. I'm not going to listen to you, and I'm not going to listen to you talk about it. I don't want to hear your praise songs. I don't want to hear nothing about it. And what you do is you let them go. You want to walk? You walk. And if they come around you, you continue to be you in Christ. You continue to rejoice. Continue to beat back the silence monster that will suck the life out of us if we let it. There was silence once. Real silence. Real and complete and total. Not just silence like you couldn't hear anything or it was all too far away. But there was actual silence. Once. Actual, complete silence. Not a lie, but real silence. And into it, God said, let there be light. And since then, there has never been real silence ever. And we should not be silent. Break the silence. Pastor Christ, you come forward and lead us in this final hymn. This is our closing song today. If you're here today and you know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, loves you and you've not lived your life for Him, but you're willing to, you're willing to have Him be leader of your life, then right now is the time to decide and then break the silence. Say, yes, that's me. I want to live for Jesus. I want to praise Him. I will rejoice. I'll figure out what my response is to each situation. And I will worship you. If you're here today, you can say, I am a follower of Jesus, but I realize that the world, my situation, what I've been through, the things I've done, things I've seen, whatever, has stopped me from speaking up. That I've been crushed by the silence. I've been attacked. I've been marred. And when I should have been defeating the silence, I've been defeated instead. 
if you're willing to say no more, then you, you come forward and you say, this is me standing up. I will say no more. I will speak up. I will break the silence. As God does it through me. If there's something else that the Lord has laid on your heart, you come and respond. Would you stand where you are and sing this song with us? And then if the Lord is having you to respond today, then you respond. Right where you are, make that decision and make it known. Break the silence today.